is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. This is your host, Brain Joe, my co host, Nick No Dam, but we have Mr. Matt Law for a little January update. Matt, how's it going? Yeah, good guys. Is it too late to say Happy New Year? I think I, it is. Pat, yeah, that's the seventh. Said seventh of January was the cutoff. I think when I I like to live my life by Larry David, so I'm going to go with that. I feel like Nick, you're you're right there with him, standing side by side on the Larry David train. We had a week. Everyone had a week to uh-huh. kind of exercise the demons, and and now and now we're into it. So I, yeah. yeah, I feel feel like we did our justice now. Okay, so it's a normal hello. Hello. Back Hello. to normalcy, I guess. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to be talking all things Chelsea with Mac. Just get a little update. State of the state. Obviously, it is transfer window, so we might dabble a little bit. Uh, but before we get into some of that, um, that the messiness, uh, Matt, Chelsea have just come off back-to-back losses to Man City, one in the Premier League, one uh, in the FA Cup. Uh, one of them much better than the other one, <laughs> if we if we do say. Um Look, the fan base is 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 very uh, heated up right now, right or wrong. Uh, singing Tuchel's name, singing Abramovich's name, uh, away to at the Etihad. Kind of, where's your temp check on on all of this as far as the owners with what they're doing in the background to build the backroom staff, and then the manager? Because I kind of, I actually kind of feel bad for Potter. He got kind of thrown into all of this, obviously. Uh, but anyways, from your perspective, from a non-biased outsider, how are you kind of perceiving things? It is um, it is tin hat time, isn't it? It's what we say in England, tin hat time. It's time to to get brave and to start riding riding the storm a little bit. It's um, it's tough times at the moment. I mean, look, everyone will say excuses, 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 but the injury list is pretty unprecedented. Let's let's start there. I, you know, if you if you add Aubameyang, who who missed out against Man City with a, a sore back, we we are told, I think that takes us pretty much up to a full team of uh, of injuries, eleven injuries, and they're all, let's face it, they're all senior players. You can make arguments on this player might not start every game in that player, but they're all senior players. That's a pretty unprecedented injury list. And when you look, I I didn't go to the game yesterday. I watched it on television, and when I looked, I knew he was going to play some young players. I actually thought Carney would start, but he didn't. But I knew he was going to play Lewis Hall and I knew there was probably going to be one or two other young players in or around it. And then when I saw the team yesterday, I did think they'd probably lose 2 or 3 nil. Okay, it ended up being 4 nil, But I'm not quite sure what any right-minded person expected. I know you can expect greater effort and you can argue about that. And, and I think Potter had an argument that, that Man City make you look as though you're, you're not putting in the effort by the way they play. Result-wise, it can't have been a surprise to anyone because I've got to say that that starting... If you if Graham Potter lasts another 18 months at Chelsea, I would argue that potentially none of the players yesterday who started would be in this first-choice 11 in 18 months' time. None of them. Once he's got some of his own players through the door and once everybody's fit again. Um, and when you compare that team that started yesterday to the team that even started the first half against Bournemouth before Reese got injured again, or the teams that were playing for, for Potter when he started well with Chelsea, I mean, it's it's just nowhere near. You, so on that on that game alone, you've got to be realistic. I mean, that team he was pretty much forced to field. It's just nowhere near the standard of what he would want or what can compete with City. 
I mean, we, we talked about this on the pod yesterday, Matt, but, you know, obviously the situation in totality is, is kind of something we've never been through before, right? Early season sacking, World Cup mixed in there, uh, death of the queen mixed in there, schedule tossed up and down, uh, you know, almost at, at will, uh, tons of injuries, and a new ownership group that, you know, I think had this been the old ownership group would seriously be considered replacing their replacement. Um, how, how do you, how do you rationalize all of this and, and try and tell a story about this season? Because I, we saw each <laughs> other in, in July and, and, you know, I know you said, I'm really worried about you guys this year, you know, because of the way the preseason was going and, all the ups and downs that happened, you know, just in that little window, regardless of what's happened the six months since. So, I mean, maybe help us paint a picture here because it has been a pretty rocky road for a lot of Chelsea fans. I mean, everything that, that could have hit has, has pretty much hit. I mean, again, not just talking about the injury record, but the, the cup draws. You've drawn Manchester City twice in the cups. I mean, unbelievable. Had you have won yesterday, you were probably going to end up playing Arsenal Premier League leaders. I mean, literally, I don't, I don't quite know who's who's done what to, to deserve this luck, but the, the the luck has undoubtedly gone against Chelsea in terms of injuries and cup draws. So let's start that there. Everything else that's that's been thrown at the club in terms of the change of ownership and the change of management rolled in together with this break in the season. Potter put it very well that, you know, he's had four months at the club, but six weeks of those have been with nobody playing. Um and then you add in, like you say, I'd, I'd even really not even factored in the, the Queen's death, but that was another two weeks of nobody of Chelsea not playing anyway. Um, it's un, it's literally unprecedented. It is literally unprecedented, and I know for sure. And you know, maybe one day I'll have egg on my face over this, but I, I'm pretty confident that I know for sure that the ownership are extremely aware of that, and they're extremely committed to their long-term vision and what they believe is right. And therefore, there is not going to be a sacking of Graham Potter anytime soon. There is not going to be a huge change, of course, anytime soon. They actually feel that they're just getting themselves into a position of some sort of off-the-pitch stability because in February, the entire recruitment team and personnel that they've employed will start. I think Lawrence Stewart starts in February and Joe Shields officially starts in February. Paul Wynn Stanley started, Bivell started. So I think that there is a view that in February will be the time when they've actually get themselves into a position of some stability. So I think that they I think they're realistic that they just have to ride this out. They just have to ride out these injuries. In February, Reese uh, James will be back in February. Loftus Cheek will probably be back in February. Pulisic now a few weeks could be a bit longer than February. Kante is going to be back, they hope, early March. Fafana, hopefully February. They do, they're looking at the long term and believing that in February and come the end of February that the picture will look, albeit nowhere near perfect, because there's no way that things will turn back around that quickly, but that people will be able to see why they have optimism for the future and why they feel that the path they're on is ultimately the right path. 
I mean, one of the things that we were talking about um, on, on the pod yesterday as well is just like the muscle memory that Chelsea fans get when results have been, you know, this bad, frankly, for, for this period that they have been, right? The muscle memory is, oh, well, surely the manager is getting sacked yep. so we can start over and get the new manager bump, right? It's almost like a a drug that you got used to taking when you were sick, right? Um you're saying that the new ownership group is going to try and wean the fan base off of that drug, essentially, right? That you're you're not going to make snap judgments if you're Todd Bully and, and Egg Bolly and all these guys. In the meantime, Chelsea are struggling. Right? Yep. I mean, it, it, we we went through the the XG over the last nine games, and it's it's not a pretty picture. Um, it's incredibly bad. So actually, some of the worst offensive football I've seen in years. Well, you actually haven't seen it, Nick, because... Oh, really? Really good point. <laughs> Can't see something that's not there. Yeah. Um, I mean, what, what's your what's your message to, to Chelsea fans during this period besides uh, suck it up <laughs> and, and continue to support the team? Because I think that's where we, we're, we're kind of like riding this line right now of, of, you know, wanting to be supportive, wanting to try to make this, you know, the best out of what is, in, you know, a tough moment. And seeing the future a little bit, you know? Yeah, look, I, I I get that. And I think from my conversations with people around Graham Potter and with my conversations around people around the ownership, I think they get that too. I don't think they're not expecting people to get angry or or trying to put out messages for people not to get angry. They understand people will get angry, that people have a right to get angry, uh, that despite all the problems that the club are being are being thrown at the club and being thrown at Graham. I think also there's a there's probably an acknowledgement that that things could still be better than they are. There shouldn't have been um, drawing with Nottingham Forest with the team that went out and played with, against Nottingham Forest. They could have played that match better. There's there's been other examples of of games where they've had a, a fairly decent team or squad out and, and not played as well. So it, it's not to say I don't think that there's a message around the ownership or the manager of I'll suck it up because this is as good as it could possibly be and you have no right to be angry. You should just be um, feeling sorry for us. Absolutely not. But what I do think that they are together going to try and wean the fans onto is is the, the picture of look at what Liverpool went through. Look at what Arsenal went through last season. Look at what to some degree on a lesser level Manchester City have been, been through. And that's what we want to do that's where we want to head and and it benefited those teams to suck it up a little bit and get through it now there's counter arguments to that i appreciate you know manchester city had won the league sort of two seasons before that they hadn't gone on a run like chelsea have without winning the league they had pep guardiola who had more of a track record than than graham potter but arsenal for instance with arteta didn't we don't know how this season will end up with with arsenal Klopp, Klopp had obviously more pedigree, European pedigree than Potter, but they it took them a long time in terms of the league to get to where they wanted to be. Um, and so that 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 they feel is the path to long-term success. And I don't think the two sports are overly transferable. I know the ownership thing, there are elements that can be transferred, but obviously within the, the Dodgers thing, they've been through this with the Dodgers coach before. They've stuck with him for an awfully long time and been through peaks and troughs. They're not immune or completely new to having to back a coach and having to go through tough times with a sporting franchise, albeit this is a, a new one for them. 
And I think it also probably says a lot that after the Man City defeat on Thursday night, the, the league defeat, which was, you know, there was cause for optimism around that one, even though that already feels a long time ago, um, that the owners, the owners were at that game, but then went back to America. You know, they're not hanging around sitting on Graham's shoulder waiting for the moment to sack him. They're, they've gone back to America. They'll be going back and forth again. They haven't altered any of their plans to suddenly start attending the next two or three matches, which you might suddenly think, think would be bad. If they're at the matches, it's because they'd already been penciled into. So they're trying to stay calm and it's difficult, but they are trying to stay calm. And it's particularly difficult for Graham Potter because he's having to front everything up at the moment. Yeah, my perspective on it is I feel like they identified that he was the manager they want to work into the system that they envision. The problem is they're building the system as they go, but they saw an opportunity to get Potter, so they grabbed him. I think they accept that not everything is ready for Potter, and then they're just asking him to weather the storm. You know, you talk about the recruitment department, the technical director, the sporting director. I think Bully and Iqbali know they want to build this data-driven organization. I think that they found a successful, young, promising manager that would work in that system and like would be very open to working in a data-driven system. And my guess is that's why they moved for him when they did. Um, but to me, like, it's not ready for him. So I think, I don't know, that they're just kind of trying to weather the storm. And, and unfortunately, it's put him in a bit of a tough situation. Yeah. And, and possibly, you know, something, I mean, I know they've, they've promoted Neil Bath a lot, and I, I imagine they're leaning on him heavily for this at the moment. But the, there's obviously not a lot of people around that club anymore who can who can sort of talk about Chelsea culture in the past and talk about the culture of the fans and talk about what the fans are used to and, and have a real sort of feeling for that. I mean, Neil Bath would be able to do that. Um, but for a lot of these people, it's brand new and they won't necessarily understand the what the fans are wrestling with. It's easy to say, oh, it's a new ownership. So it's, it's difficult if you've not been in it to, to understand exactly what, what Chelsea fans really sort of value and what they want. And there's obviously a a difference between what, let's say, social media fans um, and people who go to more... I'm not saying match-going fans. I think that's unfair, because but fans who have more of a connection with having been to matches or, or, or having that connection with the club rather than simply having it over on social media, because I think there is a disconnect between what those, those two lots of fans want and demand. And I think people who had been at the club a long time would understand that more and... Again, it's all new people who won't understand it. So it'll be hitting them. It'll be like a, a sort of train hitting them in the face at the moment. But as I say, they are determined to ride it through and, and stick to what they believe in. Can I counter that really quick, though, Matt? I mean, the yeah, social media is a disaster right now. We've, we've said that. But the, the guys in the stands at the Etihad were the ones singing Tuchel's yeah, name. I get that. The same. So I, I'm kind of, I don't know if there's that much of a divide right now. It seems like everyone's just kind of pissed off. Yeah, I get that. Although I was at the the home match at Stamford Bridge and the fans were incredibly supportive. I mean, I know they they performed better, but there wasn't a peep of discourse, which is why actually I was shocked to to hear of what what happened at the Etihad and I'd love to know kind of what kind of numbers it was because there was not even a hint that that was going to happen from the home match. Um and I still felt we were probably a, a good few matches away from that. But I I take I take the point. I do take the point. Um but yeah, it's it's really 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 difficult times. I mean, my my only slight worry is to come back to something you said, Brandon, talking about the data model, and I am going to write a piece about this. But data is not going to bring leadership. Data 
you don't identify leadership through through data and Chelsea need leaders. We've talked about this, I'm sure, loads of times on this on this pod through different managers in terms of the leadership and the characters in that squad. And they've got to be careful that with their signings come, it, not every player they sign has to be a leader because that's, that's just not going to happen. It's unrealistic. There aren't that many leaders out there. But they need to bring some leaders and characters into there and they can't rely solely on data in my view because if they do it it might not solve what i think is the biggest problem within the dressing room and the squad is the lack of leadership because the i think the most worrying thing about this, this performance on sunday was not the result particularly but was the fact that some senior players just went missing you know you can excuse the kids you can even excuse some of the sort of newer players as well who are obviously struggled and i've been critical of some of them particularly killer Bally, but it's, some of them still struggling to come to terms with the Premier League. But there were, there were some guys there who've been in England now a long time. And not even just the older players, but experienced players who didn't show any character. Didn't show any character. And, you know, I've, I think I've criticised someone here before, but Kai Havertz, for me, I would sell him in the summer. If I could get a good bid, I would sell Kai Havertz. I, I don't know what he brings. He's a very big talent, but character-wise, there's nothing there. He doesn't run for the team, in my view. Uh, he could have got sent off within two minutes. I don't know what on earth he was thinking with that handball. And, you know, they, Kai Havertz is clearly an incredible talent. He would show up on their data model were he at another club at the moment as being a player to definitely sign. And this is what worries me about going purely with data. They've got to start getting the right characters in. I agree. I said that on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> they came out yesterday as well. Uh, the lack of leadership is frustrating. Hey, we're going to take a quick ad break, though. When we get back, we're going right back into it. So, again, thanks to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. Um, yeah, we, we've we talked a little bit about that. So, when you're in this situation, obviously, it's January. Everyone's looking to make transfers. Everyone's looking to make changes. It's the first time coming off a World Cup. I know you have some kind of, like, bigger ideas and kind of perspectives on this because, again, you can be linked to everyone, as you just said. We're lacking leadership in this team, which 100% because – like Reese James has been a good leader. Tiago Silva is a leader, although he can't play every single minute. And Mount can't really be a leader when he's the left wing or left attacker because he has to wait for the play to get to him. Um, so with that being said, I mean, I guess I'll let you kind of talk about it. Chelsea have already made the Fofana signing. You know, they've already made Body Shield from uh, Monaco uh, and then Santos from Bosco da Gama. Anyways, young, up-and-coming for the future. How are you viewing this transfer window as far as yeah. like it's important for Chelsea, not necessarily the names that they're connected with? Yeah, I mean, look, it's hard to criticise a club for future planning, and I'm not going to criticise Chelsea for future planning. I, I only have one reservation at the moment in that I think from the summer, the new ownership have spent around £100 million now on, on sort of young, up-and-coming talent who you wouldn't expect to be have any pressure on them to make any impact on the first team. Given where the squad are and where Chelsea are, I'm not sure the timing of doing that is quite right at the moment. I think there should be more priority given to the now and the next few years because Chelsea really haven't had a problem with bringing through their own young players lately. Let's face it, they've brought through some of the best young players in the world. And while I understand the philosophy of trying to sign all this best supposed best young talent in the world, Marrying that strategy, that long-term strategy against the shorter and medium-term strategy, I actually think it would be better to concentrate on the medium and, and shorter-term strategy. That's just my opinion. Like I say, 
I, I wouldn't want to criticise a club though for for future proofing themselves and for forward planning because, you know, I think a lot of us think, often say that clubs should do that. Um, my slight difficulty with this transfer window, and I've, I've come into it kind of a little bit late because I, I had a big break after the World Cup um, and I've been playing catch up a little bit on it. Um, there's still this mentality around Chelsea, which frustrates me um, of let's just sign the next shiny new thing. That'll sort everything out. All of a sudden, Enzo Fernandez is going to solve all of Chelsea's problems. All of a sudden, uh, Mudrip is going to sign, solve all of Chelsea. We've been here before so many times. Havertz was going to solve all the problems. Lukaku was going to solve all the problems. X, Y, Z were going to solve all the problems. While Chelsea do need to make signings, I don't think people getting too focused on the need for one name or one signing is healthy just because I don't think it's going to be transformational. I really don't. Chelsea do need to address their midfield, granted. Chelsea need the right player or two in that midfield, whether it be January or the summer. If they have to wait for the summer, I'd wait for the summer rather than just doing one in January because you think you can get it done. Um, so I'm, I'm slightly frustrated by that angle of it. But to come on to the transfers, clearly... A bid was made for Fernandez, um, not of the not of the uh, they never bid the buyout clause, as as Benfica have tried to say. Um, they made the bid; it was rejected. They may well make another bid. I think, it, despite all the criticism from Benfica, but from what I'm told, they're not going to get as high as the clause. They have a valuation of him. The first bid, I don't think, was quite as high as their top end valuation of him, which seemed to. That's why I think it, it seemed to suggest there will be a second bid. Um, but they're not going to go and just pay, pay the cause, which I think is a good thing. Um, and I'm told that Graham Potter is very much on board with that. Because again, I worried just sort of while I was on my break and reading about it, I worried, is this just a move that the owners are making? Is this a Graham Potter move? Is this, what, what is this? I'm told that Graham Potter is very much on board with that one. The Mudrich one, from what I gather, is more at the moment exploratory. They want to know what the deal is with Mudrich. They want to know how far down the line it is or isn't with Arsenal. They want to know what the asking price is. I think the asking price is something like 88 million. Again, I don't think Chelsea have any intention of ever bidding 88 million for him. Um, and I think there's maybe a little bit of surprise uh, around the ownership that so much has been made of the sort of interest in Mudrich just because I think they, they just see it as being exploratory, as, as kind of a bit of a due diligence of, you know, well, is this guy available? How much is he? What What's the situation? They're looking at him. They want. I know for a fact that if in their dream scenario, this window, they would buy a backup right back to Reese James, they would buy a midfielder, and they would buy a winger. Uh, do I think they'll get all three? Probably not. They might do. I actually think that they think that buying some sort of right back back up to Reese James has become a bit more of a priority than it was before, having seen how the team collapses when Reese is out. But the problem with Reese James, it's described to me as, it's like Tottenham trying to buy a striker with Harry Kane. Chelsea have got the best right back in the world, in my opinion. He's very young. He's on a, was it a six-year contract he signed? I think it was a six-year. Why would any really, really good right back who has any ambition whatsoever join as his deputy. So when Chelsea like someone like, for instance, Denzel Dumfries, 
Dumfries has a fantastic World Cup. Why, why is he going to join Chelsea as Rhys James' deputy? Because he knows when Rhys James is fit, Rhys James plays. You know, and it's a bit like Tottenham have with Harry Kane. Very difficult to sign the deputy when the first choice is that good. And also, let's face it, that, that impactful. I've never seen a team fall apart uh, uh, by not having a right back before, by not having a right back available. It just shows how good Reese is. I mean, he's way more than a right back to them and the team has fallen apart. I do think that in terms of future planning, there's going to be a lot of drive towards making sure that this squad is not reliant on one or two players. They're very, they've become very aware and concerned of how things have fallen apart since Reese was injured. They are very concerned by the fact that obviously, even though I think talks are going quite well with N'Golo Kante over a new deal, I think there's concern that they've been too reliant on the past in N'Golo Kante, that seasons have fallen apart around N'Golo Kante not being fit. They don't want it to be so reliant on one or two players. But as I say, the, the right-back thing in terms of transfers for this window or the summer window, they found how difficult that's going to be because if you've got a player that good, asking someone to come in into this deputy isn't easy. That's why, can I just add as well, that's why I think as well, and I know this was a saga of the summer, the ownership was were keen to sign Kunde, and at one point Thomas Duke was, but Thomas eventually decided he didn't want him. Now, I think the ownership probably wish they'd have gone against Thomas now because Kunde isn't a specific right-back, but I think he would have provided them with an answer there Um and provided them with a solution that maybe isn't there now. Yeah, especially if Trevo has to deputize in situations out there, for sure. Um, uh, Nick, what do you make of all that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree right now, finding a serviceable right-back replacement is critical. Like, I'm I'm kind of of the opinion that Reese is one wrong move away from not being fit the rest of the season, so you have to go find someone who can potentially play a lot of games this year and hope that... Reese can really get fit before we, you know, head to next season. Um, knees are tough, um, so you, you hope that this isn't that bad. But you know, if he injured it 61 minutes into coming back, you just don't have a lot of faith he's going to be healthy. So, are there other right back names that you're hearing about? No, I mean I, I've spoken to someone about this, and that that point to me was, was sort of name me and name me a right back. You know, not many, <laughs> and. Name a, right back, name a right back, A, who's good enough for Chelsea, and B, who, who might be able to come in as a deputy. Like I say, Dumfries was, was very real interest, but I, I just don't see him coming, up, coming in as Reese James' as, as deputy. There's the guy at Celtic who I think they've done some due diligence on. Um, Ranovic. Yeah, I don't know him. I can't recall seeing him play very much, so I wouldn't want to give an opinion on him. Um, Pedro Poro. He, Pedro Poro, he's he's sort of more a wing back though, isn't he? And he's he's a winger and a wing back. I, I I got the impression from where the links of that came out, he's not been mentioned to me. I got the impression that was Sporting putting in a few tasty stories into the Portuguese press to try and get Tottenham to actually and Daniel Levy to put some money up front rather than just messing them about a little bit. Um, but yeah, it, it's really it's a difficult difficult market for that. And I, I can't, I know that there, there was definitely interest in Dumfries. I think they have done due diligence on the Celtic guy. I don't know how strong the interest is. And after that, frankly, I don't know. But this is where they do now have, the, the not all the recruitment guys have started yet, but this is where Paul Wynn Stanley for sure and, and, and Vivelle 
are going to earn their money because they need to come up with some people. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of looking through it. It's like, oh, we lost Tina Levermento to Southampton. Would have been good depth, yada, yada. Like, you just, you know, like the academy produces players, but sometimes the timings just don't align. And obviously he got, you know, his his knee injury as well that he's just coming back from. Um, and he left because of Reese James. And, and you understand that. I mean, it's a huge immovable object. Um, I think we'll go ahead and hit pause there. We'll take our last ad break and we'll come back. We'll look at the renewals uh, and kind of the recruitment team. So thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back. So Matt, you kind of talked about it a little bit uh, about the Conte deal. It seems like you think on reduced terms with more pay to play bonuses, uh, he'll get an extension. Um, I guess anything else you want to add to to that one? Yeah, I think I think Kante is coming along. Um, they, they seem fairly fairly optimistic on that now. It doesn't feel like anyone else has, has come in and and really put up the sort of numbers that Chelsea are prepared to pay. I think it'll be quite a short term extension. I'd be quite surprised if it's long term. Um, but yeah, I know I know they're encouraged by by what's been happening, and I think. I think this month is probably the month where it will get sorted one way or the other. And I, I am now expecting Kante to sign a new contract. But again, I, that that is good news, but it, it shouldn't change the fact that they need to future plan for him and basically plan for the fact that he might only ever play 10, 15 games a season. They need, they need a plan in place on that. They, they can't sign him up to a contract with a view of, N'Golo Kante suddenly playing a full season. If he does, amazing. But I think you have to plan for the fact that he probably won't. Yeah, kind of a part-time talent. Yeah. Keep him healthy. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of where everyone's sad is at. Um, another player who has not inspired a whole lot of confidence recently with their performances is Jorginho. Obviously, we've kind of been back and forth in the transfer saga here. Will he, won't he go? It feels like he's further, just from a fan's perspective, further for, from... Uh, from staying than maybe uh, we thought previously. What's your read on the Jorginho situation? Yeah, I think the Jorginho one's way more in the balance than than Kante at the moment, um, from both perspectives as well. I think that Chelsea would extend a, a certain sort of level, certainly the level that they'd been thinking of probably wasn't what he was hoping for, and. The, the recent performances might just have sort of placed more doubts as, as well onto that. I also think it will be linked to what they think they can do in the transfer market a little bit more than Kante. I think Kante is regardless of anything they can do in the transfer market. Um, I think if Chelsea got some some sort of good news in the transfer market regarding midfielders, albeit whether it be for this month or whether they could set something up for the summer, I think that might have a bigger impact on Jorginho's future. Um my personal opinion, and I've said this before, and I know he goes through these spells and I've been, you know, he has had very good spells at Chelsea, don't get me wrong, but I, I would let Jorginho go. I don't really see the value in, in giving him a new contract now. They, they, need to, they need to rebuild that midfield and they need to look past Jorginho. And while Jorginho is a leader of sorts because he's vice captain, he's not, he's not the kind of leader at the moment I think they're desperately looking for. I think he's more of this happy-go-lucky, he keeps the spirits up, he keeps everyone happy. But when things are tough, I'm not sure he's a, a digging-in kind of leader. Um, that's my reading from the outside, obviously. But yeah, I, I think I think Jorginho is expendable. Um, but I do think there's, there's probably a level at which Chelsea would would still 
do it to to have him around and his experience around. But I, I think it's probably time to look past him and a few other players now, which I've said for a while, to be honest with you. Uh, Tiago Silva, is that just another, hey, handshake as, as we go? Do you know what? I woke up this morning and thought I need to check on Tiago Silva. Um, so I'll be honest with you, I haven't checked on Tiago Silva at the moment, and I, I promise I will do, hopefully by the next time we speak. We speak. So you're going to DM Bell? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish. Um, uh, then lastly, just Mason Mount. Um, you know, there was talks. It's gone quiet. They said post-World Cup. Is it just a lack of urgency? Is there something more sinister? I, I don't get the impression there's anything more sinister. I just don't think talks have happened yet. Uh, it's a busy time, clearly. Um, there was some good talks just before the World Cup. I know that there were some positive talks just before the World Cup. I don't think they were close to an agreement, but I think everyone was in quite a good sort of mood over it before the World Cup. Um, I thought there would have been talks by now since the World Cup, but uh, yeah, I, I think there will be more, and I'm I'm still pretty hopeful that one will get resolved. I know, I know that the ownership want to keep him. I know that they value him. I don't think they think that this is particularly um, this spell of form is particularly going to impact what they offer him or anything like that. I think they see him as a future leader. Um, and I know that when they first came in, their big priorities were to get to get Reese James and Mason Mount on new contracts. And I, I don't really think anything's changed on that. I just think they're very busy with lots of different things at the moment. But why do you think the Mount talks have taken longer than the Reese James talks? Just simply like positional stuff or what? <sighs> Look, um, I think Reese James was very much at the bottom end of Chelsea's earners. And therefore, they offered him an, an enormous increase, an enormous increase, which probably made it very easy then to, to get the agreement. I think with Mason, he was at a higher level on wages than Reese. So in terms of the increase they're offering him or have offered him, it's not as enormous as Reese's, and therefore there's a bit more thought to go into it. I also just think, but I don't think it's, I don't get the impression that I know there's been a story around that Mason has demanded £300,000 a week. I was told that's not true. I was told that it's far, there's, there's far more to it than simply making monetary demands. I, I just think that for whatever reason, where Reese was at, it was easier to get an agreement. But I'm not privy to the conversation, so I'm, I'm slightly guessing, to be quite honest with you. It's, it's, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, but what I can say for sure is that, that the there have been strong denials on the fact that that Mason has demanded £300,000 a week. Well, we're going to pivot our last section here to, to the kind of holistic recruitment and, and medical team model. Obviously, these are all, they're both intertwined right now, obviously, because the injuries are kind of leading you down a path of recruitment. But I think everyone, you know, saw the performance on Sunday and made their own judgments on whether they think player X, Y, or Z needs to be replaced. And for there to be any blood in the squad. So can you kind of talk about the think tank? I mean, we, we referenced this before the World Cup. Yeah. But, you know, it is it is complete except for some gardening leave. Um, so, I mean... I know in this window, the think tank is very much Vivelle and Win Stanley. Um, it's pretty much a two-man a two man job in this window because of people completing gardening leave and because of just the way the, way the shakedown has happened in terms of when people have joined and, and at what stages. The, the recruitment, I'm told, this January is pretty much being left in the hands of Vivelle and Wynne Stanley. Uh, 
and it's probably quite easy to see where where people fit in around that. Um, obviously, Win Stanley has an awful lot of sort of experience and contacts in this country, but also in Europe, where Brighton have shopped and in that sort of market, maybe not the top top end of the market because he hasn't been privy to that with with Brighton before. And then you've got Vivelle, who's probably on a European level, been involved at slightly higher end market with with Leipzig. Um, so I, I got the impression that it was more Vivelle involved directly with with Benfica, shall we say, um, in terms of Enzo Fernandez. But I know it's those two. Those two are spending an awful lot of time together, and it's those two sort of putting their heads together. Um, Joe Shields will come more into that once he starts uh, in February, and then you've got Lawrence Stewart coming in in February too, who. I think is uh, obviously this more global. So I think it's more to do with the, the clubs Chelsea are going to look to buy in terms of the multi-club model. I think it's quite interesting though, because there can't be that much coincidence by the fact that so far Chelsea have signed a defender from Monaco, where Lawrence Stewart is coming from. They have got a deal wrapped up from Cuckoo from RB Leipzig, where Vivelle has come from. And they've signed Daktro Fofana, who was on the verge of joining Brighton, while Paul and Stanley has come from. So they've obviously seen a little bit of crossover there. Um, but you would expect that because you would expect that when they came in, they'd be asked, like, which players do you really know and think we should go for? And I'd imagine that in early talks, all three of them talked about those players. But yeah, this this transfer window, I, I know for sure it's 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 Vivelle and we'll win Stanley and a lot of responsibility is putting over to them. And then I think in February, there'll be more detail given about how the whole thing tank operates as a as a whole once people start at least i hope so because i'm hoping to write a piece about it at some stage fair enough we're all looking for more insight matt uh and if you're looking for it then we all definitely are but hey thank you so much for jumping on i know you're busy uh only four calls from uh the chelsea board there during that podcast which i appreciate you silencing i wish it was the chelsea board i really wish it was the chelsea board (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna tell everyone it's not nick anyways uh thanks for getting up and joining us uh i don't know maybe a little crack in the clouds after talking to matt doesn't look like it yeah i mean it looks beautiful yeah we just like talking yeah, to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, next time you got to come with a motivational speech, Matt, or something that, that'll help get us off the mat. I don't know what's going on. I've been uh, watching a lot of Ted Lasso, so I'll come in with some Lasso-style motivation for you. There you go. But you have to do the accent, though. Otherwise, it's just going to be useless. You really yeah, got to work on it. I'm going to have to workshop that. I'm not going to try off the top of my head. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Chelsea fans, go check it out. Matt's always putting out premier content. Um, anyways, and let us know what you thought. There's a lot to break down on this one, but we'll be back with more content this week. Match against Fulham. Do not forget a good little West London rivalry. Anyways, that's it for us. Until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.